Well, if we could, with the Lord's help and the Lord's enabling this morning, if we could turn back to that portion of Scripture that we read, Paul's letter to the Romans uh, in chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, and if we read again at verse 1. But Paul says there, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. My heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. In this verse, the Apostle Paul, he reveals to us his pastor's heart. Paul gives us an insight into the heart of a pastor. Now, as we said last week when we were ordaining our new elders, uh, we said that all elders are pastors. All elders have the responsibility of, of pastoring the congregation by exercising spiritual oversight over them. And we said that there's no hierarchy in the church, but that there are two types of elder, a, a ruling elder and a teaching elder, in which the ruling elders, they have the responsibility and the concern uh, towards the spiritual welfare of the congregation. But the teaching elder, he not only has the responsibility of a congregation's spiritual welfare, the teaching elder also has the responsibility to preach, to teach, to exhort, and to encourage the congregation uh, to follow the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And that's what we see Paul doing here in his letter to the Romans. Paul is writing here as a teaching elder. And he's writing as a pastor to his congregation. And he's writing to them because he has a particular care and concern for them as a congregation. And no doubt there's this pastoral bond between both the pastor and the congregation. Because as their pastor, Paul has a care and a concern for them and for their soul. And as a congregation they knew that Paul cared for them. And wanted them to be saved. And they knew that it was because Paul often spoke to them. About their need to be saved. And about their soul. And it was Paul who introduced them to Jesus. It was Paul who preached to them about Jesus. It was Paul who, who discipled them in their faithfulness to Jesus. And it was Paul who loved them because of Jesus. Paul had this pastor's heart and in this chapter he gives to us an insight into a pastor's heart and the love that he had towards his congregation. Because he says in verse 1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And you know, that's what the letter of Romans is all about. Because in this letter, Paul is, is teaching his congregation about the need to have faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul's purpose in writing this letter was that it was so that he could clearly explain to the people in Rome that we are saved not by works, but by faith alone. Because way back in chapter 1, right at the beginning of his letter, Paul says to his congregation, the congregation of Rome, he says to them, I am eager to preach the gospel to you. To those who are in Rome. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because it's the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes. To the Jew first. And also to the Greek. Paul's desire was to preach the gospel. He was eager to preach to his congregation. Because he knew that the preaching of the gospel. Is the power of God 
unto salvation. And in it, in the gospel, Paul says, we have the promise that the righteous shall live by faith. The righteous shall live by faith. And so Paul's desire was to preach the gospel because that gospel, it was not a message of salvation by works. It was a message of salvation by faith. Meaning that a sinner can be made righteous in God's sight, not by their own efforts, but by faith alone. And that was Paul's greatest concern when he wrote this letter. He wanted his congregation to know and be assured of the fact that a sinner is saved not by anything they do, but by trusting in what Jesus has done on their behalf. And having explained in his letter that the wages of sin is death, chapter 3, he explains that the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. Having explained all that in his letter thus far, Paul now expresses his pastor's heart here. And he expresses his longing for his congregation. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And you know, as the pastor of this congregation, I can understand in a measure what Paul was saying. Because you know, as we come to another, the end of another year in our lives, I'm sure that we can say a, a lot has happened. A lot of changes have taken place in our lives. Some have been good changes with additions to the family or there have been weddings. Others have not been good changes. There has been illness and, and loss. But you know, when it comes to Christianity and committing your life to Jesus Christ, becoming a Christian, for many of you in here today, you haven't changed. Another year has gone by and you haven't changed. You're still not saved. You're still in your sin. You're still lost. Another year has gone past. We're in December now. And you're still not saved. But what I want to say with Paul today is. My heart's desire and prayer to God for you. Is that you may be saved. And I'd like us to consider the pastoral heart of a pastor or of Paul in particular. And what he says to his congregation. I'd like us to consider it under three headings. A personal concern, a public confession, and a promised calling. A personal concern, a public confession, and a promised calling. So, first of all, we see the personal, a personal concern. Paul says, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. And as we said, this opening verse, it gives to us an insight into Paul's pastoral heart and the love which he had towards his congregation. And you know, Paul, he wasn't afraid to reveal his pastoral heart, his pastor's heart towards his congregation. Because Paul knew that if his congregation understood his care for their soul, and if his congregation understood his concern for their spiritual well-being, and if his congregation understood his love towards them, if they understood how Paul felt towards them as their pastor, he believed that they would listen to what he was saying. And that when the opportunity arose, he could speak to them personally, directly, and that he could be straight to the point. And you know, Paul, he was never afraid to express his pastor's heart to, towards those to whom he was pastoring. 
You could say that Paul was the kind of man who, who wore his heart on his sleeve. Because he wanted his flock to know that he had such a deep care and concern for them as a people. And that's evident not only in this letter, but in many of the letters that Paul wrote. Because when Paul wrote to the Corinthians, the Corinthians, they were in a mess because of ungodliness. And yet Paul wrote to them and he, he addressed them as saints in Christ. And he encouraged them, go back to the cross. Go back to the cross because it's there that you'll see that salvation is all about Christ crucified. When Paul wrote to the Colossians, they were being bombarded by false teaching. But Paul says to them, since we have heard of what's going on in your congregation, we have not ceased to pray for you. When Paul wrote to the Philippians, they were struggling with assurance. And he thanked God for them. And, and he reminded them that the God who began that good work in them, he would bring it on to completion. Paul always revealed his pastor's heart for his people because he wanted them to know how much he loved them and how much he cared for them. And you know, the same is true here with his letter to the Romans. Paul says at the beginning of his letter that he's eager to preach the gospel to them. Paul wants to preach to them. He, he can't wait to preach to them and share the good news of Jesus Christ to them. And of course, Paul wants to preach to his congregation because he knows that they need to be saved. And his earnest desire is that they'd come to a knowledge of the truth and be saved. My friend, Paul has this personal concern for his congregation because they are the people which God has entrusted to his care. And you know, well, in some way I can understand what Paul is saying here. I can understand the love that he has towards his congregation. I can appreciate the care and the concern that he has for their souls and their spiritual well-being. And I know what he's talking about when he says that his earnest desire is to preach the gospel to his congregation. Because when you have such a personal concern for the souls of a congregation, and when you, you, you love them and care for them so deeply, all you want to do is speak to them about the gospel. All you want to share with them is the reality of their sin and this wonderful message of salvation. And my friend, I want to remind you today that I have a personal concern for you and for your soul. Because I don't want you to be lost. I don't want you to die without Christ. I don't want you to go to hell. I don't want you to reject the gospel. I want you to be saved. And with Paul, I'm saying to you today, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that you will be saved. And you know what Paul is saying here to his congregation? It's so beautiful. Because he's saying to them, my heart's desire, my, my earnest longing. My personal concern, my, my constant prayer is that you'll be saved. Paul is saying to his congregation, I have cherished you in my heart. And my heart, it breaks every time you turn away from the gospel. And what's remarkable is that Paul's love for his congregation, it was so deep. And it was so personal that he says at the beginning of the previous chapter in chapter 9... Paul says to his congregation, he says, I'm speaking to you the truth in Christ. I'm not lying to you because 
my conscience bears witness to me by the Holy Spirit. And he says in verse 3, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart because of your unbelief. And then Paul goes as far as to say, I wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. Paul's love and his compassion and his care and his concern for the Jews and also to the Romans, this congregation, his concern was that he was willing to be lost in order that they could be saved. He was willing to be condemned to hell in order that they could experience the wonder and glory of the gospel. Now, of course, Paul knew that was an impossibility. He knew that he couldn't substitute himself in the place of others. Because he knew that Paul, that Jesus loved Paul. And that Jesus substituted himself for Paul. Paul knew that Jesus loved him and gave himself for him. But Paul's desire to be lost in order that his congregation would be saved. It just expresses his love towards his congregation. And you know, it's a beautiful insight into his pastor's heart and Paul's longing for his congregation to know Jesus as their saviour. But you know, even though Paul had a love towards his congregation and he had such a care and concern for them he, and he, he prayed for them earnestly, prayed for them earnestly, his congregation, even though he had this concern for his congregation, his congregation had to have a care and concern for their own soul. He had this earnest desire for them to be saved. But they had to have the earnest desire for them to be saved themselves. And as much as Paul desired and wished to save his congregation and to protect them from the wrath of God in hell, Paul knew he couldn't do it. And I know that I can't save you. Can't save you at all. As much as I would love to save you. And as much as I would love to just be able to, to carry you into the kingdom of God. I can't. Can't do it. Because you need to have a concern for your own soul. You need to, to see your sin. You need to see your need of a savior. You need to realize that you're heading to a lost eternity in hell. And you're heading there not because you reject the gospel. You're heading there because of your sin. Rejecting the gospel, it will only add to your torment in hell. The reason we're all hell-deserving sinners is because we're sinners. And we're sinners in need of a saviour. But our torment in hell will be greater when we reject the gospel, having heard it. My friend, I have a concern for your soul. But do you have a concern for your own soul? Do you care about your own soul? And you know. I look at some of you here. And here you are once again. You're in charge. But why are you here? What is it that has brought you here this morning? Why do you come to church? Is it just to, just to tick the box? Is it just to show face? Is it to try and please God by your church attendance? Or do you actually have a genuine concern for your own soul? 
I hope and pray that you do. Because as Paul reveals his pastor's heart, he he not only speaks about his personal concern for his congregation, he also speaks, secondly, about the need for his congregation to make a public confession. A personal concern, and secondly, a public confession. Look at verse 8. He says in verse verse 8, But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And as a pastor who had a care and concern for his people, Paul's desire and prayer to God was that his congregation would be saved. And Paul makes clear to his congregation and to our congregation, that the only way to be saved is to believe and confess Jesus as Lord. But the problem many people had in Paul's congregation was that they knew they needed to be saved. They knew that they needed to confess Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. But instead of confessing Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, many people in the congregation, they tried to appease their own conscience by Helping the church as best as they could. And this is what Paul refers to back in verse 2. When he says that they are a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. They were willing to help the church in any way that they could. But they refused to confess Jesus as Lord. And Paul says here in verse 3. He says that his congregation they are actually ignorant of the righteousness of God. Because they're seeking to establish their own righteousness instead of submitting to the righteousness which God has provided by faith in Jesus Christ. In other words, the congregation thought that by helping out in the church, it would be enough for them to be righteous in God's sight. It would be enough to please God. But Paul has stressed from the very beginning of his letter that the righteous shall live by faith. And that a sinner, they are justified before a holy God, not by their efforts, not by their works, not by how good they are to the church, but by faith alone. Faith alone. And we can apply this to ourselves, can't we? Because there's no doubt that many of you are more than willing to help out in the church. You're more than willing to do whatever is asked of you, whether it's cleaning the church or the crash rota or, or moving chairs or financing the roof. Whatever it is, you're more than willing to help. And it's, it's great and it's wonderful to see. It's, it's amazing. It really is. But my concern, like it was for Paul, is that you have a zeal for God. And you have a zeal for his house. But it's not according to knowledge. You have a zeal for God, but you don't understand the righteousness of God. Because you keep thinking that you're made righteous by something you do. That if you do A, B and C that you'll get D. But Paul makes it clear to us here. Christ is righteousness. To everyone who believes. And he says that when it comes to being made righteous before God. You don't have to climb to heaven. 
in order to reach righteousness. Because he says, Christ came down to us. And you don't have to plumb the lowest, lowest depths in order to obtain righteousness. Because Christ rose from the dead. And so Paul says in verse, verse 8, he says, what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. And what Paul is saying is that the righteousness of God is here. It's right here. Salvation is near you. It's within reach. It's within reach. It's not something that's far away and unattainable. It's not something that you have to work for or earn. You just have to accept it by faith. Just by faith. And Paul says, that's the gospel we preach to you. That's the faith we proclaim. It's near you. You just have to accept it. And then he says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. And with this we see that Paul's personal concern is that his congregation would make a public confession. And I have to say that my personal concern for you as a congregation is that you'll make a public confession. Because as we're reminded here, you can only be made righteous by confessing Jesus as Lord. You can only be saved if you confess Jesus as your Lord. And like Paul's congregation, you know that you need to be saved. You know that you need to, to public Publicly confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior in order to be saved. Because the promise is, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and if you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. You will be saved. And I'm sure that the congregation in Rome, they had no problem believing in Jesus. I'm sure they believed everything that they heard. That Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior of sinners who died upon a cross to, to save sinners and he rose again from the dead. I'm sure that the congregation in Rome, they believed with all their heart that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. But the problem wasn't believing. The problem was confessing. Because anyone can have a private belief. Anyone can believe in their heart that Jesus is the Christ. But in order to be saved, Paul says, that private belief, it must be a public confession. And for the congregation in Rome, you know, you can understand their fear of publicly confessing Jesus as their Lord. In the Roman Empire, they imposed emperor worship. And so to confess Jesus as Lord instead of Caesar as Lord, it meant that you were signing your death warrant. And at that time, the Roman Empire and the Roman emperor, emperors, they took great pleasure in persecuting Christians and putting them to death. And so you can understand why it was hard for the congregation in Rome to confess Jesus as Lord. But I can't understand why the congregation in Barvis doesn't confess Jesus as Lord. Because my friend, at present, you don't have the problem and threat of persecution. You won't be made an outcast in your community if you become a Christian. 
Your home won't be burned. You won't be put in prison. You won't be thrown to the lions. You won't be used as a lamppost set on fire. Just like it was for those Christians in Rome. That's the threat that the congregation in Rome had. But not the congregation in Barnabas. And as I've said before, believing is not the issue for you. Because you already believe. You already believe this. You believe the Bible. You believe all that it teaches about God and sin and Jesus and salvation. You believe it. But the issue is confessing that you believe it. The issue is commitment. And commitment is all about confession. Commitment is all about confession. Because Paul says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And so my friend, commitment is all about confession. And you're not saved until you confess Jesus as your Lord. You might believe everything that's preached from, from this pulpit. You might even love the gospel that's preached from this pulpit. You might even love Jesus as the saviour of sinners. But unless you confess Jesus as your Lord and saviour, you will not be saved. And my friend, I can only remind you that there are many people who once sat where you are sitting and they believed in God. But they went to hell. They went to hell. Because in order to be saved. We must believe. And confess. We must believe. And confess. And that's what Paul says here in verse 10. With the heart one believes and is justified. You believe you're made righteous. He says. And. Both are connected. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. My friend, commitment is all about confession. Not only the confession of your sin, but also the confession as, of Jesus as your saviour. Commitment is all about confessing. It's all about confessing Jesus as your Lord and as your saviour. But you know, I don't know what holds you back. I don't know what it is. I don't know what stops you from confessing Jesus as your Lord. Because when you strip everything back, when you peel it all away, you know deep down that there's nothing worth clinging to than salvation in Jesus Christ. Nothing else matters. Nothing is more precious than your own soul. I don't know what holds you back. And sometimes... I think you don't even know what holds you back. But you know, if it's yourself that holds you back, if it's your stubborn heart that holds you back, then that's sad. Because if you wake up in hell, having heard the gospel all your life, you have no one to blame but yourself. No one to blame. And my friend Paul is trying to make the gospel. He's trying to make becoming a Christian. As simple and as clear as possible. If you believe in your heart. And if you confess with your mouth. Jesus is my Lord. If you say publicly. 
Jesus is my Lord. He's my Savior. I want to be a Christian. I want to follow him. Then you will be saved. I, and you know, I know that there's this constant battle going on in your heart. I know it. Where you're torn. Maybe you're even broken inside because you know that this is what you want, but you just won't let go. Whatever it is, you think that you don't have the strength to do it or the assurance that you'll last the course or that you have this feeling inside. You don't think maybe it's not genuine. Maybe I'm not real. There's this battle inside always going on. And I know there's a battle going on because I can see it in your face. But what Paul is explaining to you here is that when you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, when you say publicly, Jesus is my Lord, he's my Savior, I'm a Christian, I've decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, that's when liberty will come. When you step out, that's when you will feel relief. When you make that step, that's when the burden will lift. That's when you'll be given strength to keep going. That's when this battle for Salvation that has been waging war in your soul maybe for many, many years. That's when it will end. When you believe in your heart. When you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. That's when you know you're a Christian. And you're saved. And you know this brings us to a third and final heading. Because as Paul reveals his pastor's heart, he, he not only speaks about his personal concern for his congregation and the need for his congregation to make a public confession. He also assures his congregation of a promised calling. A promised calling, a personal concern, a public confession and a promised calling. Look at verse 13. He says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord... Will be saved. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. Will be saved. And as we've said. Paul's pastoral heart was such that he had. This earnest desire. This weight upon him. This prayer to God. Was that his congregation would be saved. And it was Paul's concern for his congregation. That led him to remind his congregation. That the only way to be saved. Is to believe and to confess. Jesus Christ as their Lord. But in this section, it seems that Paul once again reveals his pastor's heart. Because he seems to know that there will be people in the congregation in Rome that will think that this offer of salvation, it doesn't apply to them. Paul knows his congregation. He knows how they think. And he knows that some of them will think that, well, they don't have the privilege that others do. They don't have the right that others do. They don't have, they're not worthy enough to claim Jesus as their saviour and say that they're a Christian like others can. But what's so beautiful about Paul's pastoral heart is that he addresses this issue straight away. He says in verse 11, the scripture says, not Paul, the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. And what Paul is saying is that there's no one more worthy to be saved than anyone else. Because we're all hell deserving sinners, he says. 
We're all under the wrath of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all condemned because of our sin. Doesn't matter who we are. Doesn't matter what we've done. Doesn't matter where we've been. Doesn't matter even what we've said. Doesn't matter whether we're Jew or Gentile, religious or not, good or bad, male or female, rich or poor, young or old. It doesn't matter, he says. Jesus is Lord over all who confess his name. And he bestows the riches of his grace on all who call upon him. That's the beauty of the gospel. And it's with this that Paul gives to his congregation and to us this great promised calling. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I love the way the authorized version puts it. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And I love that word, whosoever. Because it includes everyone. And excludes no one. It reminds us that anyone can be saved. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That includes you. And this means that the offer of salvation, it's as wide as possible. It's to whosoever, there's no distinction, there's no barrier, there's no obstacle, there's no requirement for you to be saved. The offer is whosoever. That includes you. You you are included in this wonderful offer of salvation. Because God is not willing that any should perish. But that all will come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, when I say that God is not willing that any should perish, don't start thinking about the doctrine of election. Don't even go there. Because election, it's none of your business. It's not my business. And it's none of your business. Your business, my friend, is to call upon the name of the Lord. Your business is to seek the Lord with all your heart. Your business is to confess your sin and to confess Jesus as your Savior. Your business is to make sure that when death calls and judgment comes, you are saved and clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's your business. So make sure you do business with God. Because there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. And so as Paul reveals his pastor's heart to his congregation, I just want to echo his sentiments in closing. Because as you know, I have a personal concern for your soul and for you. My heart's desire and prayer to God, as Paul says, is that you will be saved. And that you will make a public confession by believing and confessing that Jesus Christ is your Lord. Your Savior. That you want to follow him. And live for him. And love him every day of your life. And that you will hear and respond to this promised calling that whosoever. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord. Will. Will be saved. There's no doubt in that. 
And so, my friend, my heart's desire and prayer to God for you today and every day is that you will be saved. May you respond to what the Lord is saying to you. Because whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. May the Lord bless these thoughts to us. Let us pray. O Lord, our gracious God, we give thanks to Thee that each and every one of us is included in that whosoever. We marvel, Lord, that Thou art a God who loves us and who provided a Saviour in Jesus Christ, that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have eternal life. Help us, Lord, we pray, to believe and to confess to say like Peter did, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. To whom else can we go? For Thou alone hast the words of eternal life. O Lord, bless us then, we pray. Bless Thy word to us. Help us to respond to it by faith, to cherish it, and Lord, to be nourished by it, that we might hide Thy word within our heart, that we may not sin against Thee. Bless this day to us. Grant us travelling mercies as we go home to our respective homes. And Lord, bless our homes. Bless our families. Look upon us in mercy that thou, Lord, wouldst be gracious to us. Cleanse us, we pray, for we ask it in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. We shall conclude by singing the words of Psalm 37. Psalm 37 in the Scottish Psalter, page 252. <clears throat> Singing from verse 3 down to the verse marked 7. Psalm 37 from verse 3. Set thou thy trust upon the Lord, and be thou doing good. And so thou in the land shalt dwell, and verily have food. Delight thyself in God, he'll give thine heart's desire to thee. Thy way to God, commit him trust, it bring to pass, shall he. Down to the verse marked 7 of Psalm 37, to God's praise.
of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, now and forevermore. Amen.